Off a high screen, Dorian kicked to the corner, Feirano for three. It's good with the foul! And back to throw is the quarterback, and Hayward is sacked by Joey Porter. Page takes it in, scores. J.D. Page. Boy, Stevens lets it go, and there's your touchdown. Michael Gallup. Got it down low, Hornung, dunk! And here come the students. Leading by 10, here's Van Pelt. He's at the five, touchdown Colorado State. What's up, y'all? We are back with another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast presented by Bojo's Pizza. There's only one place you can get a true Colorado mountain pie, and this is, of course, Bojo's. Right now, Bojo's is offering 30% off takeout when you ask for it at all of their six Colorado locations. If you happen to hit up Bojo's, make sure you tag them and tag us with your delicious order. If you can't hit up uh, to-go order, make sure you check out DoorDash. There are also delivery options on there. There's also specials on there, so you know worth checking it out. But it's tough times for a lot of local businesses. We got to do our part to support the mainstays. Bojo's is certainly one of those. You know, I've been going to Bojo's my entire life. Makes me nostalgic for heading up I-70 and going to the mountains. Now that I'm in Fort Collins, though, it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit closer to home. Bojo's, a Colorado institution. All righty. I have a interesting guest today. Because we did the rewatch of the 2013 New Mexico a little while back, it reminded me that I used to work with my good friend Kyle Griffin. Kyle was an operations intern in the office. He also spent some time as an equipment guy, was a volunteer before that, but he worked at CSU football during the, uh, the same time that I did actually became, you know, he was more important than me, significantly more important than me. Uh, but he has some fun stories, especially about Jim McElwain. He was kind of his his right-hand man for about a year and a half. So uh, pretty cool to have him on. It was great catching up with him. And it was fun to uh, talk about that game. He just had some fun stories about, you know, McElwain talking to the team before the New Mexico Bowl. Uh, just the perspective of what it was like trying to build up that team in 2013. And then, of course, you know, everything that followed in 2014. So it was it was definitely great to have him on. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to go over a couple of things. We had a video conference today with Steve Adazio and Trey McBride and Logan Stewart. Both got on as well. Thank you to CSU Football for doing that. Uh, but it was a good opportunity to just kind of you know, hear how CSU football is is staying focused throughout all of this. Uh, Adazio definitely, you know, he said all the right things. He didn't say anything controversial about, you know, wanting to rush back or how this is, you know, hurting their program. He was very conscientious about the public and the health and just, you know, talking about how we have to do the right things to to make it through it. He did get asked about, you know, the possibility of, you know, there not being a football season and you know, he, he got a little, not defensive, but, you know, just made some some jokes about the people that are, you know, trying to predict the future. Uh, at this point, I think it's it's too early to say. We'll just, we'll have to see how this, you know, whole thing plays out. Obviously, it would be devastating to me to not have a college football season, but there is a, there's a lot more important things in football, and that's definitely one of the points that Adazio made as well. Uh, talked about how they're trying to just take things one day at a time, really, you know, stay focused, control the controllables. Obviously, that's coach speak, but, you know, it, it's really true during these these difficult times because you have to 
keep accountable. You have to try and, you know, keep your schedule as regular as possible. It's obviously really difficult, but do what you can do. He said every morning they're having meetings with the coaches at 7 a.m. Uh, they have team meetings where he lectures everybody. Says the uh, getting used to the technology is, you know, definitely been an adjustment for him, but it's also kind of cool because he has access to, you know, reach all these people all across the country. Not, you know, something that you would have had, you know, back in the day. And beyond that, he talked about how, you know, they don't really need to panic. Obviously, it would have been good to to finish spring ball. They got seven practices in. Would have been great to get those eight ones in there. They're really trying to become a physical football team, and that's probably the the biggest area where they'll lose, or I guess the, that's the uh, the area where you know not having practice will probably impact them the most. Just not getting to put on those pads, not getting to strap up every day, get used to contact, all of those things. But I will say, he had a very calm presence, and it, it seemed you know it, it seemed like they. They feel like this is a, a situation that they can manage, at least for the time being. You know, obviously, if they're not allowed to have practices for, for months on end, it'll be a different conversation. And, you know, I'll go into this a little bit more for subscribers. I'll, I'm, I'm working on a Rams notebook piece right now where I just kind of, you know, talk about everything that Adazio and the players went over today. But definitely, uh, definitely interesting to just see how they're handling things. Trey McBride, in total football guy fashion, actually joined the video chat while moving Steve Adazio's stuff into his house with Louis Adazio, Steve's son. Steve's out in Cape Cod right now, and I guess Trey had some free time, and he just, you know, helped him move. Nice way to get a workout in. He he joked about it, but just a <laughs> classic, classic move. I couldn't help but laugh. Like if anybody on the team would be doing something like that, it would. It would definitely be Trey McBride, and he gave us a couple of other zingers. You know, we asked about, you know, what are the players doing to to stay in shape? Obviously, you know, the trainer Scott McLafferty is is designing some things for them, and they're, you know, doing what they can. But the players, it's kind of on the players to to hold themselves accountable and and get creative a little bit. And Trey said that he tried to bench press Toby McBride, his brother. But Toby was a little bit heavier than he expected. Probably a little bit uh, hard to hold. I mean, it's one thing, at least with a bench press, you have the grip. I mean, not that I could bench press somebody as big as Toby McBride regardless, but classic, classic football guy stuff from Trey. He's one of those dudes that I'm just, I'm excited for football season. I'm holding on to hope for football season because I want to see what, you know, guys like him and, and Warren Jackson and, and even Logan's story, you know, he's a little bit quieter, but he's just a great story. Fort Collins kid grew up dreaming of, of playing at CSU, had to go to junior college, works his way here. Now he's a starter. I mean, that's the stuff movies are made of. So at this point, you know, I'm I'm staying positive. That's all we can do. We, what do you get out of being negative? You know, it's, it's going to be a tough couple of months regardless. So I just don't see any point in being pessimistic before we have to. Cool, cool, cool. All right, we are going to get to that interview with Kyle Griffin in just a second. But before we do, I have to recognize our friends over at Breckenridge Brewery, the official brewery of DNVR. Guys, right now, Breck needs our help to keep the farmhouse kicking. 
If you order a meal or beer from the farmhouse, use the code DNVR to save $5 off your meal. You know, we got to do what we can to support them. Similarly to Bojo's, just call 303-803-1380 from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. for your pickup. They'll even bring it right to your door. You don't even have to get out of your car. That's what I'm talking about. I'm trying to touch as few door handles as possible. If you can't hit up the farmhouse, you can always order a 15-can sampler through Drizzly. This is a delivery service for alcohol so clutch, and the 15-can sampler is your best bet for variety. You can get some Colorado Core, some Hot Peak IPA, Avalanche Ale, Strawberry Sky, Vanilla Porter, all those fun favorites. If, if you don't want to get it delivered, if you want to get out of your apartment, you know, use the Breck Beer Locator. As I've been talking about for weeks now, this takes all the inconvenience out of beer shopping. It will tell you exactly where the closest liquor store near you is that has Breckenridge beers. So clutch, so convenient. I mean, I remember the first time I had a Breck beer, it was, it was about 18 years old. Probably shouldn't admit that, but hey, what are you going to do? I'm 24 now. <laughs> Anyways, shout out to Breck. Make sure you support them. We love them. You do too. So let's let's talk about when you worked for the team. You know, you started as in just a guy that volunteered. You know, cutting up film. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people assume that like working for a football team is super glamorous, and you know it can be obviously depending on what your role is and you know h- how valuable you are and all that. But a lot of what makes a, a Division One football team operate is guys, you know grinding and a lot of times volunteering their time, you know, without compensation behind the scenes. And you were kind of one of those guys that just grinded and until you got your opportunity, you know, what was that like for you? And, you know, what do you, what do you remember about your time as an intern prior to being, you know, starting in the equipment room? Yeah. So, um, it was pretty cool. They, uh, like I remember I was at a big assembly once and, uh, like Coach Mack showed up and they brought him in and he said that he was starting this or CSU football was going to start this program, um, bring in volunteers to help with the recruiting process. Um, obviously with NCAA, there's have done the strict rules and stuff that went over that. But, um, I just jumped at the chance to, to help in any way. Um, actually like in the Fairchild era that last year there, I actually just one day just went right up to the football office, talked to the, to the secretary at the time and, and asked if there's any way I could get on. And, you know, they said, Oh, we'll take your number down and never heard anything back. So once, once I found out there was an actual program, I jumped at the opportunity. And basically what I was doing is I'd just come up in the office. Um, someone would put down a like list of 10 names or five names or whatever they had that day. And my job was to like go onto this program called huddle and just do cutups of these players that they had, um, look at their high school film and try to get like a base, you know, 15 to 20 plays of, of what the player did well, what they didn't do well. Um, the biggest thing they told us was like, don't, don't just like do all their highlights. I mean, you can make, you can make me look like an all-star five-star recruit if you just look like showed all my highlights. Right. So they wanted to know what the player did well, what they didn't do well, um, showcase all of their, um, traits and, and deficiencies and then basically put it onto a file and the coaches would look at it later and decide whether to pursue it or not um, from that point. And then, you know, after working there for a little while, um, a couple of the recruiting coordinators, they came up and said, Hey, you know, there's an offer or there's a uh, opportunity in the equipment room where you could go down and, and actually get paid to, to be at practice and, 
you know, at the games and stuff like that. I jumped at that opportunity the first chance I got. Um, so that, that was basically how I started from there to working in the equipment room. And, uh, I think usually at the start of every semester, there's usually, if you look at, um, I think like the online postings for like brand, if you're a student and you look at the job postings, there's usually looking for, uh, equipment coordinators and it's, it's a tough job. Uh, like Justin, like you said, man, it's, it is not glamorous. It is washing a lot of practice clothes and some, you know, hours that you were just go, 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 man, and on your feet. And there's not a ton of glamour to it, but there's nothing that beats getting out on the field like on game day. And, you know, with the new facilities at Canvas Stadium, I, I can't imagine how much nicer it is now. So um, if there's any students out there who, who do listen to this or parents of students, like I would encourage you guys to go check it out and, and try to work for that equipment team. It's, it is something else. I mean, that's a, that's such a good point. Like, obviously you have to work your tail off and, you know, it's not glamorous. You're doing a lot of the the work that basically the, the people that get paid a lot of money don't want to do, um, but it's necessary stuff. So you're, you're, you know, you're integral and you get to, you get to meet these people up and close, you know, you get to develop a relationship with the players, you know, with the coaches. Was there anybody on the team that you can remember from your days in the equipment that was, you know, particularly cool to you? I, I remember I didn't actually get to be around the players that much, especially. Oh, sorry, Justin, I would... you kind of cut out there. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Um, is there just, was there anybody, you know, on the team that you remember being cool? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I remember one of my first days in the equipment room, uh, I walked in and they're just like, all right, go put this in, you know, go put this stuff in so-and-so's locker. And I'm walking around like just obviously lost. Like clearly I don't know where this guy's locker is. And, uh, Weston Richburg was sitting there and he offered me, he's like, Hey, who are you looking for? And he helped me out. He said like, Hey, here's this person's locker. Here's this guy's locker. Uh, he didn't have to do that. And I thought that was really cool. A really cool thing for him to do. Um, also got to know another guy. He was a O lineman for a while um, until he got hurt and then ended up uh, working up in the offices with us, uh, AJ Freeler. So he, he was also like, he's, he and I stay in touch. He's actually went um, on my bachelor trip with me and, uh, down to Louisiana where we went fishing down there and, and he was a really cool guy too. And, and honestly, there's a ton of cool guys. Like you, you could just go through the list. Like Kevin Davis, he's, he's a really cool, cool dude. Um, like always down to earth. And then, uh, um, Oh, I'm spacing out, spacing out. His name. It's been a while. I know it, it has been a while. I, sh- I should pull up the roster and look at it, but no, there, there was a, that team had a bunch of really cool dudes. I mean, Hollywood, he always gave you the time of day. He he was a, such a cool down to earth guy too, man. Like most of those guys were were pretty cool. That's funny. Like literally everybody that you just brought up would be the people that I would give as examples when, you know, whenever people ask me about the team, I'll be like, you know, I didn't really get a ton of time around the players, especially in 2013, 2014. I got a little bit more time around them, but you know, you brought up um, Weston Richburg. He was the, probably the first player that I could remember, you know, even kind of like acknowledging who I was. A lot of those guys, you know, they can get egos. I don't think you see it quite as much at, at CSU as you would see it, you know, at a big time program, but 
it's certainly it's certainly there and there are you know certain popular players that are not necessarily like the nicest dudes but Richburg Higgins a lot of those guys they were they were super down to earth and I just you know I kind of miss that era I'm, I'm nostalgic for it oh same here I mean that's like we were talking about NCAA 14 man it's you play that generic roster and you got most of those guys there and and it's cool to have kind of that it's cool that they haven't come out with an updated game yet a little bit because you can still kind of live that that roster and live that uh that time period a little bit and uh just looking back man it, it was such a special time there at csu and, and that place was you know mac and and that staff really got that place going in the right direction um you know, obviously before he took another opportunity with Florida and, and everybody knows what happens after happened after that. So life got complicated after that. And, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth on how I feel about McElwain because I don't think that anybody can really blame him for taking the Florida job. It was obviously a, a massive opportunity for him. And that's what these coaches are doing. They're, they're building their resume to get these type of dream opportunities just like anybody else would in any you know profession that's cutthroat or, or has opportunities for advancement. I will say, though, his exit, you know, it did rub me the wrong way, um, just how he handled things a little bit. But before that, he was always very, very cool to me in the office, very nice to me. Um, you know, what was your experience with McElwain, obviously, as somebody that got to know him very well? You know, it was he was a pretty cool guy. Um, he just just like when I first got the position where I was basically his like his guy, like so at practices or during the games, if he needed anything, um, I was the guy that he would say, like, hey, go get this or go get that or or anything like that. And um, just following him around and kind of seeing how he handled himself. Um, he always like, he never wanted to get too high or too low on game days when, when stuff happened. Um, like if you, if you were down in the game or, or, or way ahead, he kind of wanted to try to keep that um, even keel. And it, it was definitely an adjustment. Like I tried to mimic whatever he did. So I remember just like walking on the, on the sidelines and we'd score a, a touchdown to go up big or, or to take the lead sometimes. And it was just like pretty even keel. Like it wasn't a ton of jumping and cheering. Like I remember having to change my mindset too. like coming from a fan, like as soon as you score a touchdown, like you want to cheer and, and go nuts. But I tried to just mimic whatever he did and, and like follow his demeanor and ended up like we score a big touchdown. I wouldn't get too big or too low either. And I, I think the team kind of followed that. I mean, you saw that, and some of those big games like down the stretch um, starting with really starting with Washington state that year, when we started those nail biter victories and, and leading all the way, you know, you look at it, you go Boston college or Utah state. Um, some of those nail biter victories, even I think uh, Nevada in 2014 um, was like a nail biter came down to the last minute and, they really, I think the guys really followed that as well and, and just like knew basically that they could give anyone a game. And, and that confidence I think came, came from Mac himself. Definitely. It's, it was definitely a transition for me as well, because I went from literally working for CSU football to 
flipping the script and then going and doing student media, which was like the complete opposite. They wanted basically, you know, abandon all ties, all that. Now I'm in a different position, even so. Um, it's kind of, I don't even, that's a whole different discussion, but I totally get what you mean about, you know, flip changing your mindset when you're, when you're up and close working around football, it just, it, it becomes different. It's still exciting, but you just, you learn to kind of accept it and take the highs and the lows. Like the, the highs are fun, but they're not quite as exciting and, and the lows stink, but they don't, you know, make ruin your week. Yeah. And it's, it's funny when you just kind of get into that. I mean, obviously I'm not on the headset like Mac was like listening to, everybody else talking I'm, I'm just standing there like taking the game in for myself but um it's just funny how like some some of the things just kind of creep up on you like um records like when it comes to like breaking records and stuff like that um i remember i think the new mexico game that year like, we won like 66 to 42 and i think capri was on a um he had a chance to like break like the single season or like single game touchdown record or something like that. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it, it came down yeah, to he uh, rushed he rushed for like six touchdowns against New yeah. Mexico in that two thousand thirteen game. And then D Hart did like the exact same thing the following year in Fort Collins. Yeah. So I remember um I I remember in uh in during that game it came down to um like if we wanted to just like try to kneel kneel the game down or kneel the ball down and, and and end the game or if we wanted to let Capri like try and score and, and break that record and Max sitting there and he said something like his his dad or his grandpa basically like advice at, at that point that he thought back to was like the only way you can lose this game is to like score like score a touchdown like if you score a touchdown like that's the only possible chance that they have to like try to get back into it but um, he forego that he like he let Capri like get the record I think um, and then that was I think it was that same year that uh, Garrett Grayson broke the single season passing record or was that the following I think, year? I think, I think that was 2014 because okay. he was offensive player of the year in 2014 because Sha- and Shaq was defensive player of the year in 2013 I believe that yeah, they had I'm so a- many I mean they had so many guys that were racking up awards back then it, they all kind of blend together oh yeah I mean I remember again standing on the sideline for for uh, Garrett's break record breaking game and and they said like, oh, Garrett's coming up on the record, and I'm sitting there like, I mean, you you get so tuned in and zoned into like practices and everything like that that I honestly never looked really looked at individual stats or anything. And at the end of the year, they're talking about, oh, Garrett's coming up on the record, does he have a chance to break it? And I'm like, I remember looking over at someone, I was like, what record are they talking about? Like, I had no idea that he was he was that close or or had a chance to break the season single season record. So that was that was just kind of like a example of just like how tuned in that some of us get and like, we're just not even aware that that records have a chance to be broken, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're just, you're locked in on the moment and you get that tunnel vision one play at a time, you know, you almost, especially you, I mean, being around McElwain that much and, you know, you just hear it and it's kind of a joke. Like I, as a, as a media guy, I'll, I'll mock coaches sometimes just because, you know, they have the term coach speak because they'll just say the same things over and over again. But really, I mean, to a default, that's kind of what building a successful football program is. It's establishing the right habits and then just doing that over and over again and learning how to tune out everything else. Oh, yeah. I mean, basically, I mean, his biggest thing was like um, next week's a big, big game because, you know, it's the next one. And that was 
so true. Um, just you get into the grind, you get into the season, and like every week is almost like almost Groundhog Day. You get into a routine, and and you you're working, you're putting in the work, and it's just like days just stack on top of each other, and that's how you end up improving. Is you just stack a good day on top of a good day, and and that's what that team did, and that's how they were able to to have that good you know, follow up that uh, New Mexico Bowl win and, and go on that 2014 tear like they did. You know, on on top of that, going back to that New Mexico Bowl, um, kind of not the, the only reason I brought you on, but, you know, when we did the rewatch, you brought up, you know, a halftime speech or and you just talked about like the mindset, the week going into it and stuff like that. Um, you know, what do you, what do you remember the team being like at that point? Because that 2013 season, you know, it's, it started tough. They had the, they lost to Tulsa on the road. Uh, San Jose state came into Fort Collins and beat CSU. Oh, I could, I could tell was, you some, we could just go down the list and I could tell you some fun stories. I mean, I remember, I remember that Tulsa game. It was hot. It was like, I remember setting up stuff on the field and, they actually, instead of, you know how a lot of turf fields use uh, like rubber pellets? Um, yeah. They actually, they use cork because it's cooler. And hmm. uh, yeah, so fun fact there. But like you're, you're pushing stuff out onto the field and like the time, by the time you get something pushed out on the field and you walk back inside, your like shirt was drenched in sweat. It was so hot that day. And then, you know, you've got fans like walking around saying like, oh, hot day huh you know just like kind of <laughs> your head yeah and it was it was such a hot day but and I, I remember coming down to the very end um like mac called used all three timeouts to try to ice that kicker and you know he called the first one and he called the second one and, and then he looks at me and because i was the guy that was there and he was like he was like use all three right and you know me being like basically my second time on the field with him i was just like yeah yeah whatever you say yeah, no way you're gonna be like no, yeah. no, two two was fine, Mac. Two was right, fine. Right. Let's not get excessive here. I know. I think hindsight, maybe you just use the two and you, you have the threat of the third to, to hold over him because like after the third one, you know, he can't stop the clock again. Um, but That's you know, in the moment, yeah, yeah, in the moment, like use all three. I'm just like sitting there. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and it comes down to like then you finally get your first win at Cal Poly, and then you got Alabama at Bama, and I think that was kind of the I remember at that point at that game, man, like I think that was when guys realized that like, Hey, we can, we can play with anybody. Like it was a tough, tough start to the season, but, but we went into Alabama, like with the idea that we could win and that we could like, we could play with just about anybody in the country. And I remember it's funny, like talking, going back to the equipment room a little bit, uh, I remember like the equipment truck, they have to leave like Thursday before and then Fridays you just have like a walkthrough and then, you know, you get on the bus and, and go out to the game on Saturday and the truck got stuck in a, like the semi truck got stuck in a blizzard on the way down. So us equipment staff, like we, we go to Bryant Denny or uh, Bryant Denny stadium. We're at the stadium just waiting for this pickup or the semi truck to show up with all the equipment. And it was like, I think 10 or 11 at night before it finally showed up and we had to like unload everything and then get everything like set and ready to go. And I think the team stayed in Birmingham. So then it's like an hour drive. 
drive back and you have to get up early and get back to the stadium to set everything up. So like from the equipment standpoint, that was a, that was a late night for us. But um, I remember standing on the sideline and there was just such a beautiful sunset for that game. And I remember standing there just like Mac was on my left side. Uh, Joey Porter was on my right side and it was just like a beautiful sunset at Alabama. And I'm like, pinch me, you know, is this real life? Is this really happening? It's such a cool stadium. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Alabama fan, obviously, but so it was, I mean, when I went down there in 2017, it was basically a dream come true. I got to see, you know, my favorite big school that I grew up watching and, you know, the, the other program, CSU, obviously that I went to CSU, I worked for CSU, I covered CSU. It was, you know, a surreal experience, but that stadium is, it's kind of, it's so massive. Like, I just remember it being the tallest stadium I've ever seen. Like it, it just went like straight up. Oh yeah. And I remember it's funny, like pregame um, we're out there and AJ McCarran actually like got Joey Porter pretty fired up. So like AJ comes out and he's just like, he does this thing and, and it was something Mac did when they were there too. Um, but he's just like, come out and just like, just practice throwing the ball and just throw it over the other team's head. So he would just take the ball and he would just he was just throwing it over the defense's head like while we were out there warming up, and like it it got to Joey man he was he was all fired up and ready to go and and Mac had to tell him like hey that's that's something we like we used to do to opponents to like try to get to their head and just like basically throw the ball over their head and like like showing them that like hey you know we own this space like even though you're out here practicing it, it was a mind game it was it was fun to hear that um, hear that I behind the that. scenes that's stuff. the most Saban thing I've ever heard. Oh just, yeah! Like, go out there and and just just throw it. Out. Don't hit anybody. Don't say anything. Just just you know, soar one over their head. Not like high enough to, so it's not gonna hit them, but low enough that you know it's gonna it's gonna piss them off. And Joey's the the perfect guy to do that too. Oh yeah, he was he was doing it to the defense, and and Joey took offense to it, man. And I mean that's the whole idea, obviously. But it was just you know like little things like that are, are just pretty cool to to um to, to remember and like you don't remember until you start talking about it and then like i'll remember um i think it was early in the game we had a pass to like richard higgins who god what was he a freshman that season yeah 2013 yeah and he uh he got a pass down the sideline and haha clinton dix is coming up ready to lay a big hit and Richard just lowers his shoulder and just meets him and they just stalemate. Not, I mean, Richard goes out of bounds, but it was just like that moment was like a, a big, like, Hey, we're not afraid of you. We're not scared of you guys. We've come here to play. Like you guys bleed like we do. And we're just like, we're just going to have a game. And it really was a game until that fourth quarter when, when things got out of hand, but like all the way up to the fourth quarter, we, we were in it. And it's funny, man, Alabama fans. I remember setting up the night before, uh, just talking to them and and they liked Mac and you know their first thing they say is, is you know you know we we uh we hope you guys show out we got hope you guys have a good game but but we you know you know we want to win right like we, we're gonna win but but we hope you guys show out and have a good game and have a good showing and it's just like that many national championships is obviously gonna buy that provide that kind of arrogance to a fan base you know Yo, yeah, it's just, it's a different mentality down there. It was, it was the same way in 2017. Like I remember walking around the tailgates and, and talking to people and they, oh, you go to CSU and like, yeah. And like, oh, well, I hope you have a, 
you know, I hope you have a good time down here. Everybody was super nice and polite because they just they expect that they're gonna. Oh yeah, you know, you're not roll you. You're not a threat. They don't care. Like if if. But it is lose... funny because. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm no, no. Just, go for I'm, it. I'm just saying. You know the. It's funny that the stadium. It gets real quiet real quick, though. You know, like they're they're obviously confident. They always feel like they're gonna win, but even in that 2017 game, it was you know, it was like a touched a seven point game at one point, like fairly late in the second quarter. And I just remember the stadium going like really quiet. And then you know they immediately score like a 45 yard touchdown, and everything gets back to normal. But right, it's just it's just such a different atmosphere down there. Oh yeah, as soon as there's tension, you feel it. Like because they're like, oh my gosh, is this really happening? Like, are we really about to to lose to Colorado State? You know, or or let them like embarrass us on national television? And, and obviously, it didn't, didn't happen either time. I think 2017, we put more points on them than any other team that season, if I remember right. I think that's correct. Yeah. It was it's it's just always interesting, but I would say in 2013 and 2017 that Alabama game was you know kind of like a catalyst because like you said w- once you go down there and and you compete with those guys it just it kind of changes your mindset. It might have even been Richard in 2013. I I can't remember exactly who said it, but I just remember talking to some of the coaches and you know I think you know they made a play and somebody came to the sidelines and they were like you know they're not you know they're not that good. Which obviously they are, but you're, right, you're yeah, but and competitive. Oh yeah, you listen to the media in Alabama is like you know they eat dirt and and spit fire. You know they're they're untouchable and and at the end of the day they're, I mean they're a credible team and they're, they're good players, but they're they bleed like you and they have to put in the blood, sweat, and tears just like you do in order to be good. So, um, like that was the big thing is like don't build them up to like this. You don't want to be on the field like in all of that. You're at Alabama, which I think is why Mac like took them to the stadium the night before to just get on the field and say like, "Hey, here's the stadium." Like when they come out and everybody's gonna be singing "Sweet Home Alabama." It's what they do. It's it's part of the thing, and like don't be surprised by it. So I think I think that really helped like get some of the jitters out ahead of the game. Totally. Totally. It's all about, you know, getting in that right mindset and, you know, kind of building off that the the Alabama game, obviously one of the bigger games in 2013. But, you know, the biggest game is, I mean, aside from beating Air Force, which is a rarity these days, uh, I beat down Air Force at that. But um, the, the New Mexico Bowl, obviously. You know, yeah, sorry, got off track there. about that game. No, you're good. Like, I, I love just going down memory lane. Um, and, you know, thinking back about these seasons, we obviously haven't had a lot to get that excited about over the last couple of years. So as soon as you start talking about 2013, 2014, the stories just start rolling out, which it's a lot of fun. But I did want to ask you about that game. Um, you know, what, what do you remember the team being like going into that? Because at that point, you know, the team had, had figured things out. Like we, we went in over the Tulsa game, the rough start, you know, they lost to CU, but, or yeah. Yep. Yeah. Beat them in I'm, 2012. I'm lost in 2013. Beat them in 2014. It's hard to hard to keep track of all these games. that start blending together. But the uh, the New Mexico Bowl. What do you what stands out the most to you about that time period? Um. Just like I remember pregame. So this was obviously before the game. Uh, the coaches have their their meeting. You know, Max sits every all the coaches down and just goes over uh, points in the game. You know, just like hey. 
you know, whatever his emphasis on that, that week was going to be. And, and his emphasis that week was like, we're just going to stick. Like we're, you know, we're a good team. We're, we've got this high powered offense. Um, and we're just stick to our game plan. And he says, we all know who's on the other sideline over there. We know what team's on the other sideline. And like at the end of the day, they're going to coog it up. And that was just such a huge thing. I don't know if they, they told the players that or not, um, but like that was in the mind of the coaching staff. And it was just like, they're going to coog it up. They're going to mess it up. They're going to fumble it or they're going to, they're going to screw something up somewhere where we're going to have a chance to win. And I remember that first, it's, it's hard to believe like looking back after winning that game, how far behind we were in that first half. Um, but we finally got things rolling. Um, I remember late in the game, we're talking about using a timeout. Uh, I think I'd, I'd have to rewatch it again to remember exactly where. But um, basically, we were debating using a timeout in order to stop the clock. And uh, one of the GAs, I think Rob Ezel, um, he's like, like, what are we doing? Like, let's not use a timeout. Like, we know they're going to throw the ball. Like, that's who they are. If we get an incomplete pass then like we're going to save a timeout ended up following that advice. We got the stop and uh, actually uh, just remember just how loud that fan base was over at Washington state and just how quiet it got like as the fourth quarter progressed. And it was so much fun just to, I, I don't think there's any panic in that team. Like when they got behind, like they just stayed the course. They knew, like, hey, like we can come back from this. We can, we've got the players, we've got the guys, and we can make big plays. And like, obviously, Shaq, unbelievable, like strip sacking two different players, two plays in a row to get us the ball back. Jo going down and forcing the the fumble on a punt, and and obviously our offense like taking care of business when they needed to. It was just like everything that needed to go CSU's way over that last eight minutes went their way aside from the uh, the initial strip sack being wheeled down but i mean he obviously was down so it wasn't yeah. like they got slighted or anything like that but yep and i, I remember uh we went into practice like i remember doing our walkthrough in our practice uh the day before and we i knew we were going to do the statue of liberty play like everybody knew it it was something we've been practicing and washington state actually did a pretty good job they they i don't know if they knew it was coming but they did a pretty good job defending it and and Donnell Alexander like made a heck of a play to get that ball extended over the pylon to make that two point conversion. And honestly, me and, and a few other guys on the sideline were pretty in disbelief when they said it was no good because I thought it was pretty clear. Oh, I was furious. Leaked. It was so obvious. <laughs> oh yeah. I just remember being like, "What are you looking?" And I mean, I knew they were going to review it, so I wasn't that worried at the time. But still, it was just one of those where it was like don't take that moment. Don't even, don't even put that in the universe that he might have not got it. That oh, man yeah. made an incredible play. I mean, that's, that's gotta be, if we're talking about like the most iconic plays in CSU football history, obviously off the top of the head, it would be really hard to do, but that would most definitely be in the top three or five. Oh yeah. Like that. I mean, Mac had a, a canvas print of that play. Like, in his office the next season. And I, I was so envious of that print. I was like, oh man. He still has it actually. He posted a picture on Twitter of him in his office like two days ago. And I saw that print hanging up. So it's funny that you bring that up. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I was like, I wish I could have a canvas print of that. That is such an awesome play. And and I, I need to find someone who can, who can 
get me in touch and get a, at least a decent picture of it framed so I can hang it up in my future man cave someday with my CSU jersey I've got. But um, that was just such an awesome, awesome play. And it's funny. I like I forget, like I forgot like how cold that game was. Like it was not a very warm game, and it got colder as the game went. Um, I remember well, Albuquerque in December can be pretty chill. I mean, it, the, it was the 2017 game was cold too. So it wasn't as cold as 2013, but it was 2013 was a lot colder. Oh yeah. I remember being down on the sideline and, and halftime I actually went in and I put on a jacket because I was just, I was freezing my butt off. Um, Mac didn't, but, um, you know, head coach, he's, you know, showing no weakness. So usually he's, <laughs> he's, he's not going to do that. Um, it's like but, when Boba wore the t-shirt against Utah state. Yeah. It was freezing. It was, yeah. I'd still, part of me is like, come on, man, put on a jacket. Yeah. You're freezing. But, um, no, it's funny. Like as soon as, as soon as we hit that game winning field goal, um, I remember just being so excited. I remember like, I can't remember which player he came and he hugged Mac and picked him up. And then he just like, he turned to me and I just, I just hugged him and like had to take his headset. And then an hour later when we were on the plane home, I look at my phone and it's just blowing up. And apparently like, like that picture of Mac and me like hugging after the, after the final score was like all over ESPN. And everyone's like, dude, you're on ESPN. That's like top 10 highlights. And so that was, that was a really cool experience too. Um, getting to be on like ESPN for a little while. Not that anybody's looking at me, but, but still it's, it's pretty cool. Totally. I mean, those moments, they live on forever. You'll always, you know, 15, 20 years from now, when you talk about that game, that'll, you'll still be able to talk about that. The, the embrace that ever, though the whole world got to saw. Oh yeah. See, saw I'm getting tongue tied here. Oh, you're um, getting there. No worries. I do want to ask you though, in the moment, what, what was more exciting, the the New Mexico Bowl or Boston College? Oh man, that's tough. Um, I'd say the New Mexico Bowl just because it was a full stadium. Like you had fans on both sides that showed out. Um, just the comeback to come back from that far down to have the just the unbelievable moments that you did and to win in that kind of fashion was just unreal. Um, Boston College, I think they were on like they were on a break or something like that. So like this, there weren't a ton of fans at that game. Um, but it was a weird time too. I think it was like an 11 a.m. kickoff. Yeah, it was, it was a really weird time, but that was like, that was one of the games. It was just like, I mean, they, their quarterback, I think was, was running the ball quite a bit. And like, it wasn't until like the second half that we like started to take control of that game. And then obviously, um, Gigi hits love it in the corner for that, that game winning touchdown. And just that, that team, man, after that, Washington State game, they just had ice in their veins. Um, I mean, obviously losing to Boise State to start that 2014 season was tough because. But it was competitive and yeah. having to play them like week, I think it was like week two. Yeah, yeah. Week two was was rough time to have to like start off. And like you play CU like right away, you get that win, um, just run it down their throat. I'll never forget the hit that. Uh, Kevin Davis just puts on on Stefo Lufau oh, that year. Oh man, I just annihilated him. I mean, That's there were so many moments in that game, but that one and and D Hart. I remember when he scored. I think it was his second touchdown. Just like going and flexing in front of the student section, basically. It just been. Oh like, yeah. All right, this team. This team's got some swagger to him. I know. Sometimes if I like going to do a workout and I need a little pump up, I'll like watch that. Uh, um, 
that special that they were doing for a while. Uh, what God, what'd they call it? Oh, the um, grind. Oh, the grind. Yeah. I'll like go back and watch that episode of the grind. It just gets me going. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, like they just, they had ice in their veins. I remember that whole 2014 season. Um, I mean, obviously Boston college to Boston college the week before they had just upset, um, one of the top teams in this, in the, I think it was USC. At that point. I, yeah, you're right. It was USC. They just upset the top ranked USC, um, obviously they were high off that probably overlooked us a little bit. Uh, you have to ask coach Adazio if they did or not. I'm sure he'll say they didn't, but oh yeah, um, that, he's, he's not the kind of guy that would give you the honest answer. Even, no. if, even if they did. No, but then, uh, so like, obviously like, I think then you go to Nevada or you, you play Tulsa at home, which then we got like, obviously took out a little bad blood there. Uh, you oh, go yeah, to the beat down. Oh yeah, you go to Nevada, and that game was like a it was a nail biter of a game. I think it came down to DeAndre Elliott like breaking up a pass in the end zone um, on a controversial like no call pass interference call or whatever to win that game. Um, and then Utah State at home homecoming like hit that field goal to win that game. Like that was that was nuts too. That was one of the like most electric times I've ever seen Hughes when I was there. Oh yeah, that's 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 one of my all-time sports memories. Period. Um, I just remember, you know, I was actually. That's one. It's been so long since I've got to go to a game just as a fan. You know, it's being in the media now, but back then, I just remember, you know, like you said, the atmosphere at Hughes was electric. It was packed. I mean, filled. Everybody stayed till the end. Oh, to see the turnaround. Just to see the turnaround from the from that like packed stadium standing room only like thriller win. And then you go back to like 2013 start the season. First home game is Cal Poly and you know, the fans, the, the stands are empty. And like before guys even take the field, coach Mack, it's like saying like, I don't care if there's like nobody in the stands. Like we play this game. For you, you play it for like your pride. Like you're not playing it for the fans. Like, cause they're not showing up. So like to go from that and just just build on that to the point where in Utah State homecoming you are literally selling standing room only tickets was like an incredible turnaround, an incredible time to be around the team. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think there was one other like we're talking about we're talking about fans and, and stadiums and stuff. I think Utah State was another. I think 2013, like we ended up losing 13 nothing at Utah State, and then had to go into the Air Force game to win in order to get the bowl eligible. Um, Utah State, that was a cold, rainy game too, but they're fans, dude. That's I won't... intense atmosphere. It's deceptively a really tough place to play, and they're right on the field. They're right on top of you. I'll, I'll have to say this. The meanest fans that I think I experienced was Hawaii. Like, when we went and played Hawaii in 2014. Really? Their, their fans were just mean. I mean, Utah, the Utah's fans were, were pretty vicious too, but, but Hawaii's fans, I was like, the amount of malice you just felt coming from them was, was pretty crazy. But Utah State's fans, like, they were funny. Like, obviously you're standing on the sideline and you, you try not to listen to them, but obviously you're human. So you hear everything they say. They were just like, there were a couple fans that were just like heckling me. And it was so funny. I was trying so hard not to laugh. 
Um, I, I love stuff like that. As long oh, as it, yeah. you know, doesn't cross the line. I, I love when fans yell stuff at players. I love. Oh yeah. So, coach. I just think it's hilarious. So, so one of the things I had to do was I, I followed Mac around and, and like, if he needed water or anything, like I have to go get him like water. So what I ended up doing is I would just carry around a cup of water in my hand, like on the sideline, the whole game. And the fans were just like, water boy, just like calling me water boy and like yelling at Mac, like, like coach Mac, your water boy deserves your salary. Like he deserves more than you do. And just like, I was just like trying so hard not to laugh because it was just like like nobody had ever like said anything about that before, uh-huh. and it was just oh man, like I mean it, it was it was a tough place to play and it is a tough place to play, but it was just so like most fans are just like telling you you suck and and it's just white noise that that you can phase out, but when when they're funny man, it's it's hard to ignore them. All right, I gotta ask you, you know, I I'm gonna wrap it up here because we're running about 45 minutes already, which is, you know, about, about where I'll go on length, sometimes longer, but yeah, no problem. I did want to, uh, I want to ask you, do you miss working in football at all? I obviously, you know, you're going to miss the, the exciting moments of it, but it's a pretty brutal industry to work in, in terms of stability. I mean, you see it all the time, even in the short period that we worked for the team, the amount of assistant coaches that, you know, get hired, fired, end up going around the country. It's, it's a pretty tough existence if you don't make it all the way to the top. Right. And uh, you know, I'll say this, like working for the team, definitely it changed my mindset and my outlook a little bit on football. Um, like I, before I was working with the team, I would, you know, I was watching like every college game, every NFL game and, and checking like every single game that was on, you know, it was always on. and, and working for the team and being around it that much. And then like getting to know guys personally, um, you kind of found that like you had to have an escape from it. So like, I didn't have like every single game on it. I mean, there are guys out there who love, love it. And those are the guys that end up working in the, in the sport for a profession. Um, but for me, myself, I, I'd been around it. I loved it. I still love football, but it just came down to, do I want to do this for, like very little money for several years of my career where I have to make a decision to like pay my rent or like buy my fiance a birthday present. And that wasn't a decision I wanted to make. You, you hear stories where um, guys miss the, the birth of their children. Like coach Mack, he missed the birth of one of his kids cause he was on a recruiting trip. So he got out there, met with the recruit, got a phone call saying like, Hey, I'm in labor. And then like, wrapped it up like met with recruit and then like left and had to drive all the way back and like by the time he got there one of his kids was born so i i looked at it reevaluated it and said like you know that's i don't want to work 100 hours a week and barely see my family um so for me i i miss game days you miss practices being on the field um but it, it was the right choice for me and and i'll always look back fondly on my memories at csu um i'm a season ticket holder so i try to make every game i can but but at the end of the day, I, I'm happy with the choice I made to, to walk away. I can't blame you, man. I can't blame you at all. I mean, that was basically what I just, everything that you just described was kind of where I was like, ah, uh, I don't really think I want to try and like advance into this or like really make a run at some type of, I mean, I wasn't naive. I knew I wouldn't ever be like a, you know, an offensive coordinator or something like that. But even just like making a, 
a career in recruiting or something like that. I was just, the stability of it all seemed scary. Naturally, I picked, you know, an amazing industry of journalism, which is obviously so stable and functioning well at all times. But, you know, it is it is what it is. Kyle, thank you for coming on, man. It was really great to catch up with you. And it was a lot of fun to to go down memory lane and, and hear some of these stories about McElwain and, and just, you know, kind of relive the glory days. Yeah, Michael, uh, too low, man. It, it was fun to catch up. It's It's been a hot minute for sure. Um, it's oh, I gotta fun. ask you. You just called me Tulo. I haven't been called that in forever. What was your nickname from McElwain? Oh yeah, so for everybody. Yeah, so that, that was Max thing. He had a nickname for everyone. I, I didn't get my nickname for like the first full year. Like somebody came up like halfway through the season. He's like, "Did you get your nickname yet?" I was like, "No." And he looked at me like, "Uh oh, Mac might not like you." But um, my nickname <laughs> was yeah, I know my nickname was uh, Deuce. So that's right. It's funny, man. You, you you tell me that, and like I remember. Coach Mack, when he first got on campus, he had like a student meet and greet. He basically said like, any anyone who wants to come, like meet me and like, you know, CSU at the time, like 15, 20 students showed up. Um, he's walking around and he asks me like, hey, what's your favorite song? And I was thinking, I was like, you know, I really like Little Deuce Coop by the Backstreet Boys, or not Backstreet Boys, by the, the Beach Boys. Um, and he like, he got, tried to get the audio people to play it, but they didn't have the song. Um, and that last practice before the New Mexico bowl game, that walkthrough, uh, one of the songs that played over the speakers was little deuce coop. And I walked up to Mac and I was like, Mac, I, I don't know if you remember this or not at all, but like the first time I met you was at that student meet and greet you did. You came up and asked me what my favorite song was. And I said, it was little deuce coop. And he just laughed. Cause I think he had like, obviously didn't remember me at all from that meet and greet. And he just laughed and he was like, dude, I remember that. Like, I do remember that. And so from that, like that point on, my name is Deuce. That is awesome. You know, funny enough, I had two nicknames with McElwain. I was Tulo for one year and I was Peyton for another year. And it was just because I literally wore a Tulowitzki jersey once and a Peyton Manning jersey once. But those were my identities for two years because of it. You know, maybe it's revisionist history, but I, for some reason I'm I like, was and think like every time I picture you up there, I just like picture you in that two low jersey. So maybe, maybe it was just what, maybe maybe I wore it a lot and I just don't remember it. But like, <laughs> I think you wore mind, it a lot. Just, maybe it just in my mind I didn't wear it that much. I think you wore it a lot. <laughs> I had to have for it for it like I guess for him to call me that. But oh, like, yeah. that's hilarious. It take it. You completely took me back there. I, I can't even remember the last time that somebody called me that. Well, yeah, you show up in a two low jersey and the head coach says like, "Hey, two low, like." what are you going to wear the next time? It's going to be the Tulo jersey, you know, unless you just like, that's a good point. Yeah. Oh, but, that's uh, so funny. yep. So yeah, my nickname was Deuce. All right, Deuce. I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you. Take care throughout all of this. I hope all is, you know, well with you and the family and hopefully we're going to have some football to, you know, talk about this fall. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the NFL draft. It'll be interesting seeing how they do that this year. Um, can't wait. Uh, hopefully they have football. I'm, I'm sure they will. I'm, I'm pretty cautiously optimistic about Coach Adazio this season. Um, he's kind of said all the right things. I think he hired a couple of uh, pretty darn good coordinators. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does uh, with that team. And, and obviously Warren Jackson, like seeing what he can do. Um, he's my my lock screen on my iPhone just going up over over one of the 
uh, UNLV players to go snag a ball. So like he's, he's one of my favorite players right now to watch, but um, hopefully, hopefully they have a good season, a good turnout. It's going to be a rough stretch down the, down the end of the season, but um, if they have football, man, we'll, we'll be there. Scummy like Martin Scarelli Turn jam into jelly Then drink it like juice The water's the truth So I sip on that too Skinny looking kid With no car keys Like the only thing I drive Is RCRV He's got the stash Like Steve Harvey Oh I'm gnarly